How many of y'all ready for the message today? Woo! Say woo! 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 How many of you guys, how many of you guys in here, you like to fight? You, li- you actually like to fist fight. Anyone in here actually like fist fighting? Diana suck, you like fist fighting. Is that Angel? Is that you, Angel? What, what's your name, bro? Angel, right? What's your name? Joe, who? What's your name? Yeah, yeah, next to Zach. Elliot, Elliot, you like to fight. You like to fist fight. Like, like some of this. You like that, okay. Do you do it for a living? No, okay. <laughs> you just like to do it on the corner here and there. Okay, I don't know. All right. Uh, let me tell you something. When, when, I, um, when I was six years old, I immigrated to Philadelphia in the States. And one of the first things that I found out about people in Philly is people in Philly, they love a good fight. I mean, they love watching fights. They love starting fights. They love uh, instigating fights. They love making stuff up so, so they can create a situation where two people will start fighting. I mean, they love fights. And one of my first memories of seeing this was in first grade. And I told this story at Hillside. Um, I was in first grade. I was a little short, little skinny Korean kid who didn't know English yet, by the way. One time in the lunchroom is where everybody ate lunch uh, in the gym, gymnasium. This huge crowd started to gather and start like cheering and chanting and people were going buck wild. And so I got all excited like, yeah, what's going on over there? And I start walking up and start like jumping around trying to look over all these like taller people. All right. And, and, and all of a sudden, one of these big African-American dudes steps on my foot, trips and falls right on top of me. And then like three or four other dudes fall on top of him. And I am on the ground. And I just started thinking, this is how I'm going to die. <laughs> All of my air was just pushed out of my lungs. And I was down there almost a, a full minute. And I was blacking out. And I was just reaching out like, this is America. <laughs> And then finally, a uh, big black dude just kind of grabbed my hand. He pulled me out from under the crowd. He said, you all right, little man? You all right? You all right? And what I found out later was, the reason why people were gathered was because there was a big fight that broke out. Two people were just going toe-to-toe, just fighting each other. And Philly people, they love to watch a good fight. Uh, in fact, uh, when I went back to Philadelphia a few years ago with my sister, we were just visiting my mom. She still lives there. One time, we were driving through uh, this area of Olney section of Philadelphia. We're driving through and just massive traffic at like 7 p.m. And Philadelphia typically does not have massive traffic on the local streets. But it was just jammed up. People are honking, coming out of their cars, getting all upset. And so we're wondering what is going on because it was just like, like five blocks filled with cars just jam-packed. All right? And so finally, we're driving past after like 40 minutes. We're driving past the actual house where all this was taking place. And we look out and there's this huge crowd gathered around this one house. Because it looked like two people were about to fight. 
I mean, Philly people, I mean, everybody in Philly, I said this in Hillside, everybody in Philly is like Don King. They want to like see a fight. They want to promote it. All right. I won't go into my fifth grade story because I already told some of y'all and it took too long at Hillside. But man, I tell you, Philly people, they love to watch a good fight. It comes out on the streets. It comes out in sports. I mean, Philly people, they love a good fight. But did you know that heaven also loves a good fight? Obviously, heaven defines a good fight a bit differently than the people of Philly. But nevertheless, heaven loves a good fight. When the angels see a good fight, they are cheering us on. They're not saying, hey, 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 fighting bad, walk away. No, this is not good. No, they're going, yeah, punch him in the mouth, kick him in the knees, put the devil under your feet. I mean, the angels of God, heaven loves watching a good fight. They love a good fight. And when the apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, here in 1 Timothy, and by the way, you can have spiritual sons. You know, there was a religious guy back in California that criticized me on my Facebook, on Facebook, on somebody else's Facebook wall, and said that uh, it's unbiblical to call somebody your spiritual daughter and to have spiritual fathers and things like that. And I talked that over with Pastor Benjamin. He's like, uh, did he not read First Timothy? You know, obviously here, Paul, Apostle Paul addresses Timothy as a son. In, in the ESV, it says child, but in the NIV and King James, it says son. All right. And um, uh, this isn't Timothy. Timothy isn't Paul's like secret, illegitimate child. All right. I mean, this is his spiritual son. All right. Anyway, so it's biblical to have spiritual sons and daughters. Uh, and in writing Timothy, he says, I give you this instruction. I'm going to read it in the NIV. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Why did Paul encourage Timothy to fight the good fight? What is he talking about there? Why is he telling him to fight the good fight? Well, it's because for Timothy, he had certain plans and promises and prophecies that were spoken over his life. And what Paul is saying is, for you to see a fulfillment of those plans, Timothy, for you to see all those prophecies of God fulfilled in your life, it is not going to be a, a walk in the park. It's not just going to be through passive living. It's not going to be just walking in and taking it. It is going to require a fight. It's going to require some swinging, some dodging, some kicking. It's going to require a fight. And brothers and sisters, we have an enemy that works 24-7 to, op to oppose and to hinder God's plan, purpose, and promise over our lives. I mean, the enemy is always working overtime. I mean, if you think about it, the enemy doesn't sleep. Not that I know of. I mean, I don't think demons sleep. I mean, demons, I mean, maybe they take a rest. Because, you know, they've been around for thousands, thousands, thousands of years. But we don't know. And they, don't, they normally don't sleep, right? And so we sleep. But the good news is, although they work in around the clock, and we get to sleep every 24 hours, or we, we get good, good eight hours of sleep, 
We can still win, by the way. But uh, the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, so that we will not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Or in the NIV, it says his schemes. Or in the King James, it says his devices. All right. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, I will not be outwitted by Satan. Say, I will not be ignorant of his schemes. You know, we need to get it in our head that for us to see increase in our spiritual walk, for us to see breakthroughs in our situations, breakthroughs in our relationships, promotions in our jobs, for us to rise to higher places of influence, for us to see these kinds of breakthroughs, we need to get it in our heads that we're going to be resisted and opposed by the enemy. Enemy's not going to just sit around and watch you go up. He's going to hit you. He's going to target you. Because the enemy is a schemer. He comes up, he designs plans to oppose and hinder God's plans for your life. Are we getting this today? Amen? Amen. And one thing that the devil always targets is your faith. You know, the devil can attack your finances. He can attack your family. He can attack your relationships. He can attack your health. But the one and only goal that he always has is to destroy your faith. In all those various attacks, the goal is always to destroy your faith, to destroy your confidence in God's promises, to destroy your ability to hold on and trust the Lord for the promises that he's spoken over your life. His goal is always to destroy your faith, to get you to stop believing. So you see, when the Bible talks about the good fight, fighting the good fight, the Bible is actually talking about a fight over faith. It is a fight of faith. Say, fight of faith. faith. It's revealed to us here in 1 Timothy 1.18. If you go on to verse 19, it, it makes it clear. It says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. All right? How many of you guys have Bibles in here? All right. If you're a new field leader, you've got to have your Bible here. All right? If you're a member of the church, you should also have your Bible here. All right. If you have your Bible, open it up, circle the word faith in verse 19. If you're a guest, uh, you can try to circle the PowerPoint in your head. All right. But if you have a Bible, take out your pen. Circle the word faith. How many times does it appear there? It's not a trick question. Okay. appears twice, right? As you can see in this passage, when Paul is talking about the good fight, he's talking about a fight of faith. It is a battle and, 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 and Paul is telling and encouraging Timothy, you need to fight to believe. All these prophecies, these amazing things that God spoke over you and said he'll do in your life, you got to fight to believe and hold on to those things. You got to fight to stay in a position of faith and, and not to be shaken into doubt. First uh, Timothy 6.12, even in the ESV, it says, fight the good fight of the faith. 
All right. And so obviously the, this good fight uh, in Paul's mind is talking about the fight to have faith. Now, why does the enemy target our faith so much? Why does he make it so hard for us to have faith? Why is that so important to, to the enemy? All right. And uh, Pastor Benjamin, he gives uh, some insight in a, in a recent blog that he wrote on his blog. All right. Uh, he says, the first thing we must understand about faith is that faith is the only thing that pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God is not pleased by anything but our faith. We can be sacrificial, sanctimonious, compassionate, and upright, but without faith, God is not pleased with any of it. When God sees His sons and daughters walking in faith, refusing to doubt, refusing to be moved by what they see in the natural, He is truly and fully pleased. Faith pleases God more than sacrifice. And this is an important point for us to understand. We, we all think that if we pray more, God will be more pleased. But so much of our praying is simply a religious substitute for our poor faith. And God is not pleased with it at all. You can pray for hours, you can fast for weeks and memorize every scripture in the Bible. But if you aren't believing for what you're praying for and trusting in what you are memorizing, it, all, it is all religious nonsense. End quote. You know, people in this room, a lot of you are newcomers. If you come out to our church's Friday night prayer meeting, and you come out every single week for the rest of 2011, but if the, at, the, at the beginning of 2012, you're still struggling with the same set of doubts, you're still in fear and not making moves when God's telling you to go, if that's where you're at, I'm telling you, that whole year's worth of attendance at prayer meetings... It does not please God. When you come to God and say, look, look, God, look at all my attendance. Look at all my attendance on Sunday services. Look at all my attendance. Look at all my tithes and offerings. And you look at all, look, uh, maybe not tithes and offerings because you, you do need faith. Actually, you need faith to show up too. But I'm saying if you are depending on that as a way to please God, I'm saying you're not, you're not pleasing God. All right? It's got to be faith behind all of that. Because it's faith that pleases God, all the QTs and Bible studies in the world, they will not please God if you are filled with doubt for all the prophecies and promises that you're reading about. Can I get an amen? amen. Y'all yeah, look angry today. Y'all okay? Hallelujah. I'm happy. You can't touch my, my joy. No, no, no. Y'all look happy. Y'all look happy. James chapter 1 verse 6. It describes that a person who doubts is like a wave tossed by the wind. That person is unstable in all of his ways. James talks about him as a double-minded man. Looks Looks at himself in the mirror, turns around and forgets what he looks like. That is the picture of a person... That is walking in doubt. You know, um, the reason why Satan tries to destroy your faith so much is if he can get you to doubt, he takes you from the place where you're unmovable, unshakable, and you come to a place where you're in anxiety, when you're in fear, where you feel so vulnerable. You feel vulnerable to every little, tiny, little attack. If he can get you to the place of doubt, he can get you to the place 
where you will feel defeated and you will feel disconnected from God. This is what Pastor Benjamin said, right? My mentor, he's my mentor. He says, the instability that comes from doubt makes us feel powerless. Like a wave that is doomed to be driven in whatever direction the wind blows. Doubters feel that they are out of control and they live on an emotional roller coaster. They feel powerless and helpless and incapable of moving anything in any direction. Brothers and sisters, the devil is aiming to make you a man or woman of doubt. But the Bible says that is not who you are. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. The reason why the devil targets our faith is because he wants to destroy it. You know, Timoth- uh, Paul writes Timothy and says, some have shipwrecked their what? Their, their marriages? No, it says they have shipwrecked their faith. How did that happen? It's because there's an enemy whose sole aim and goal was to pursue the destruction of their faith. To shipwreck it. Now, I'm a, I'm, I'm a I'm Reformed theology. I, I believe in Calvinism. I believe in election, predestination. So I believe that no matter how badly you mess up after you receive Christ, all right, God's taking you home. All right, even if you're like doing all kinds of stupid stuff, all kinds of sinful stuff, God's like, nah, nah, I saved you. I chose you. You're coming home with me. All right. But, you know, most times people aren't kicking and screaming going to heaven. And they're pretty happy about that. <laughs> all right. But even if you got deceived, let's say, you know, some people, you know, come up to me. And, uh, you know, and uh, they'd be like, that brother, I thought he was a real Christian until he joined the cult, until he joined the Moonies, until he joined the Jehovah Witnesses. And then I don't automatically conclude just because they joined the Jehovah Witnesses that they're no, they're no longer a Christian or that they were never a Christian in the first place. If I know them and I know that they had true saving faith, I believe that they're saved. Even if they die, like they're, they're at the Jehovah Witnesses for three months and all of a sudden they get hit by a car and they die. I'm going to expect to see them in heaven. Because I believe it is God who saves. It's not your effort or performance that, that God doesn't depend. He doesn't condition your salvation on your ability to walk with Him. That's why it's called grace. Salvation is a gift. Everlasting life is a gift. Once God gives you a gift, He doesn't take it back. Isn't that good news? Uh, for people who don't understand election, man, I mean, you're coming up with all kinds of very good philosophical questions. But I, I'm, I, can, I, can, I can address all of them, but this is not the time and place for that. And my leaders have told me I should avoid talking about election because it stirs up a lot of emotions. All right, but as you can see, like, the base of what I believe in, all right, it has a lot to do with the sovereignty of God and the saving power of God's grace. Uh, so when I say shipwrecked, when Paul says shipwrecked, I don't think he means that they're going to hell. I think they, it just means that they have really jacked up their Christian walk. And we had to excommunicate them from the church. We had to kick them out. We had to no longer have fellowship with him. And then, you know, the devil did all kinds of stuff to him and then he died early. Like there is a sin, the Bible says, that leads to death. Are you all with me? You know, some deaths are untimely. I mean, I don't know why I'm going off on this. A lot of Christians have poor theology. So whenever somebody dies, they conclude, oh, it must have been God's will. Oh, it must have been God's will. This is God's timing. 
He's bringing this incredible pain in my heart over my sibling's death, over my parents' death, my parents' early death, by the way. They're not like 80 and 90 and then they pass away. They were like 45, healthy and strong. All of a sudden they passed away. And they think, well, it was God's will to give me this pain so that I will be a more humble Christian. And this is poor theology. This is very poor theology. Can I say something? Can I say something? People have untimely deaths all the time. When a person commits suicide, that's not God's will. Don't ever put that on God. That's an untimely death. When a person overdoses on drugs at NYU, that's an untimely death. Okay? What did Jesus say? Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is not part of my original message, but I feel like there's anointings on this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does that mean? What's Jesus implying? Jesus is implying that the devil has a certain ability to kill. That means he can kill off your family members. He can kill off your friends. Now, don't get scared by all this. I'm just just saying he can. Only if you allow him. But he can. And plenty of Christians allow it. Uh, Think about the story of Job. Okay. Job has this wonderful big family. They're all partying and they're having a great time. And then the party tent just collides and and then they all die. Right? Who caused that? Right? What do we know? The inside story says that Satan is the one. God permitted it. I understand that. But God didn't schedule their death. Do you understand? Satan brought an untimely death for Job's uh, family. And Job felt it. Don't tell me that your, your emotions betray your theology, by the way. If you think that every death is planned by God and it's God's will for you to learn character. That is just such a simple way to see scripture. All right? And I'm telling you right now, the Apostle Paul writes about a sin that leads to death. You keep messing around with immorality. You keep messing around with corruption. You keep messing around, lying, lying, sleeping around. I don't know. Whatever it is you're doing. You keep messing around that way. Right? I'm telling you, God is giving you second, third, fifth chances so that you turn your life around. But every time Satan brings you in there, he's trying to kill you. He's trying to kill you. Because he's scared of your potential. He's scared of what's inside of you. The kingdom of God. It might be in seed form, but the kingdom of God is inside of you. The power of the Holy Spirit is waiting to be loosed through your life. And Satan's scared of that. So he's trying to kill you before you ever reach your potential. I don't know how I got off on that detour. Let me come back. The devil, he aims to make us men and women of doubt. And that's why he targets our faith. He wants to shipwreck your faith so that you no longer believe for the salvation and revival of your family. He wants to destroy and target your faith so you no longer believe God for your physical healing. So that you no longer believe God for the end of human trafficking in Cambodia. So that you no, you no longer fight to believe that the doors of North Korea are just about to open up. And by the way, they're just about to open up. Welcome to our church. We've been praying. 
We've been praying, we've been praying, and we believe reunification is so close. And there are news articles, there are shifts, prophecies that were fulfilled last year. All right, um, last year at a exactly almost a year ago, March 26, we had a Friday night prayer meeting. Pastor John Michael he spoke about why I pray for North Korea, and then after he he uh, preached that message, we said, "All right, let's pray for North Korea." Now that we know why, <laughs> and so we're all praying for North Korea. And I grab the mic and I get the strong prophetic word and I just declare it and I say, God is going to bring a political shift in 2010 that is going to prepare for the doors of North Korea to open. When I went home that same night, I got text messages from our sister Gloria. And she said, oh, I think Korea is about to go to war. One of our uh, warships just sank. But I knew in my spirit that we weren't going to go to war. All right. Satan might have been trying to target, trying to get that, but God wasn't going to allow it. All right. And what had ended up happening that same night was the Chunan warship sank. The same night, March 26. That's how I know, know the date, because that's the same night we had the Friday prayer meeting. All right. And then right after Chunan warship sank, what happened? United States immediately changed their political stance on North Korea. Hillary Clinton comes up and says this amazing speech. All right. And I'll, maybe you don't I got no love for Hillary, but I'm saying, all right, she's a smart woman still. If you ever study her biography, man, she's a smart lady. She said, we cannot go back to business as usual with North Korea. Things must change. All right? As a Secretary of State, she started to change political approaches than the United States had. Japan, all right? There was a guy who got elected as the Prime Minister based on the promise that he would empty Okinawa of all of uh, U.S. Marines. All right? After the Chunan warship sank, all right, he went back on his word to the disappointment of all the Japanese and said, no, uh, we're going to keep America in Okinawa. Why? Because, you know, obviously there might be a threat of war and stuff like that. All right, Japan changed their political stance in North Korea, and they started getting more vocal. You know what they said? They said, stop kidnapping our people! All right, if you don't know what's going on, for the last, like, since 1950, North Korea has kidnapped so many Japanese people. And, and it's almost like a hobby for uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il. I don't know if you've read these stories. It's crazy. All right, they just send, they send people into Japan, and then while they're coming out of their car, they just, they just kidnap them, take them to North Korea. All right? And they don't kill them or anything. They just, they just let them live somewhere. I don't know how they treat them, but... There's so many Japanese that have been kidnapped. Japan's like, we're, we're fed up with this. We're taking a harder line stance, all right? All right, Russia, right, started to change their view. China says we're not changing our political stance, but WikiLeaks, right? Thank goodness for WikiLeaks. Now, WikiLeaks was a curse to some, but was a blessing for others. WikiLeaks starts leaking out all these uh, cables about uh, in Beijing, all the political leaders. They're all now, because of Chun'an and later on with the Yongpang uh, Island shelling, they started saying, you know what? We are, we are in favor of a unified Korea under Seoul's leadership. That's the informal discussion going on in Beijing. Did God bring a political shift in 2010? Oh, you betcha. The nations are getting ready for a reunified Korea. There was also a major political shift that happened in North Korea. 
Kim Jong-il started to prepare his son, Kim Jong-un, to take over his seat of power. But in the middle of all that, North Koreans are starting to rise up. Right now, North Korea is shaking in their boots. And they are saying, thank goodness we don't have Twitter. All right? Because they are watching what's going on in the Middle East, and they are afraid that their people are going to catch wind of that. And they are. Because there's a very open border along with China and North Koreans go in and out and they have a secret uh, they have not, it's not secret anymore it's an open market economy that North Korea government now allows and as they go in and out they're spreading the news the Middle East is on fire North Africa is, is getting freedom they're, 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 they're demonstrating and they're getting their, uh, their regimes are toppling in a few weeks but the devil he wants to Destroy your faith from believing that Korea will be reunified. And I'm here to tell you, don't let them do that. We got to fight the good fight. We got to fight to believe, amen? We got to govern our spirit and stop just trusting what we see and start staying in the place where we trust what God has said. We walk by faith, not by sight. For we fix our eyes not on that which is seen, but on the unseen. But what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Brothers and sisters, God has put the eternal promises into our hearts. And we got to fight to believe. I promise you, I was flowing a lot more smoother at Hillside. But hallelujah, I'm keep going. Because y'all like me. Y'all like me. You love this message. Um, I don't know um, if you guys know Mike Tyson, right? If you ever go, go YouTube uh, Mike Tyson. Have you ever watched Mike Tyson in his prime? He was unbeatable. He was unstoppable. Not only will he win, he will win with knockouts. In, in the boxing uh, arena, it is hard to have the majority of your victories be knockouts. Because you got to knock out a grown man. And, 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 and he was fighting in the heavyweight class division. So big heavyweight dudes, they're hard to knock out. you got to hit them really hard. I mean, George Foreman, you can't really knock out George Foreman. I mean, I think George Foreman like, rarely got knocked out. But here Mike Tyson knocking everybody out. All right? And I, and I made this analogy over at Hillside. I'm going to choose somebody. Let's say Brian Kim. All right? He's a strong and secure man. He won't take this personally. Let's say tomorrow Brian has to fight Mike Tyson in his prime. First of all, who are you going to root for? Are you going to root for Brian? Yeah, right. Yeah, because you guys go to the same church. You should. You should root for him. Okay? If you knew that he was boxing Mike Tyson in his prime tomorrow, you would show up, you would watch, right? And you will say, yay, Brian! Yay, Brian! Oh, he's going to die. <laughs> yay! Go! Punch him! Yeah! Right? All right, Jesus wept, Brian wept, and then he died. <laughs> this is what says on his t-shirt. Um, but let's say Brian has this amazing boxing coach who gives us this crazy strategy. All right? Don't go toe-to-toe with Mike Tyson. He'll kill you. So start running around the ring. 
All right? And, uh, and, and all this stuff. So he gives him the strategy, and Brian takes up the strategy. He starts running around the ring, hitting Mike Tyson on the back of the head by accident here and there, and cuts him like, in a certain way where Mike Tyson starts to bleed in one of his eyes. And he's like, he's like, he's like, and he hates when he's bleeding. You know, last time he started bleeding, he bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. All right? And so, so you know, I don't know if y'all saw that fight, man. That was a good... <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I love boxing, so I saw some of these fights. And, uh, and so, let's say he gets to the third round with this crazy strategy of running around. And, uh, and Mike Tyson comes out in the third round, and he's bleeding, right? And then he starts to doubt whether he's able to beat up this scrawny little Korean-American. <laughs> he's like, maybe this Korean-American has something that I don't. Maybe I'll never be able to connect on my hook and starts to doubt himself maybe all those victories that i had these past few months and years maybe they were just fluke matches maybe they were it was just luck maybe i was just fortunate and he starts to doubt who he is you're mike tyson what are you doing you can you can knock out anybody but he starts to doubt himself and then he starts to play defense you see, when a boxer starts to think he can't win, he's no longer going to come out swinging. All right? He's going to start to play defense, and he's going to try to hit you on, connect on a lucky shot or something like that. So Mike Tyson starts to block, and Brian's like, what's going on? Yeah! Pop, pop, pop! And my, it's not hurting Mike Tyson at all. <laughs> but he's getting him, he's getting him. And Mike Tyson's leaning against the ropes because he's just full of so much doubt. I can't do this. I'm bleeding. I think I'm going to lose. Oh my goodness. Right? And then Mike Tyson looks over at, the, at his corner and says, throw in the towel. And they throw in the towel. And all of you goes buck wild. Yeah, Brian won. My TKO, he won. He won. <laughs> but we would all know what really took place, right? It wasn't that Brian won. The real story is Mike Tyson quit. He didn't finish because he didn't think that he could win. He started to doubt. He started to see and focus on his situations. My eye is bleeding. The last time my eye bled, I, I didn't do too, too well. I think I sprained my knee. Right? He's just looking on his own situation and start, starting to forget who he is. And starting to forget who Brian is. <laughs> If all he, even if he started to like maybe get shaken a little bit in his identity, all he had to do was look at Brian and it should have assured him victory. All right, but he starts to overestimate what Brian has. He's got that Kung Fu fighting. He's got some magic Korean American karate. All right. Actually, you're not allowed to use kicking in, in boxing, but anyway. And Mike Tyson, he loses. Check this out. When God prophesies certain things over you, and you start to believe it, you start walking toward it, you start praying into it, you ask others to pray with you, you're walking toward God's plans to be fulfilled in your life. And then circumstances hit. And then the enemy starts to whisper lies. And then he starts to shout intimidation. He says, you are nobody. Are you, who are you kidding me? Are you, what? Bring an end 
to human trafficking in Cambodia? Who do you think you are? Kiana, you are not going to even put a dent in Cambodia's sex industry. You are not going to save a single child. And then all this intimidation starts to ring in your head. And then you start to doubt. And instead of fighting the good fight of faith, instead of fighting to know, no, I'm going to keep believing this. God said it and he's going to do it. Instead of doing that, you just go, no. Devil, I think you're right. Maybe I should ease back. Maybe I should readjust my plans. Maybe I should quit. And whenever that happens for a saint who has been called by God, it's like heaven watching Mike Tyson quit his match to Brian Kim. That's what it looks like to heaven. We all know the real story. Because when heaven sees you, Diane Wheat, when heaven sees you, Paul, Sonia, when heaven sees you, Ryan Duker, (laughs) I have a habit of saying Ryan's name in all my sermons. When heaven sees you, they see Mike Tyson. They see a man or a woman who's on fire and unstoppable. They see a person that has access to all the training that they need to succeed. Access to all the revelation, all the power, all the spiritual gifts, all of the favor. Everything you need to prosper and to fulfill God's plans for your life. When heaven sees you, they see a person. They see, a, they see Mike Tyson. And to heaven's shock, so many Mike Tysons throw in the towel. At the first sign of opposition. At the first sign of getting hit in the face. Brothers and sisters, we got to fight the good fight of faith. We must refuse to be moved by what we see. We must, be, we must refuse to be moved by what the devil does to attack us, to oppose us. You know, a lot of Christians, we underestimate the devil or we ignore him altogether. And then the Bible tells us, you know, do not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not unaware of his schemes, right? We are not to be ignorant, you know. We need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, and we underestimate them sometimes. But here's another problem that Christians do. Christians also overestimate the enemy. It's like Mike Tyson looking at Brian Kim and going, oh man, he looks so dangerous. That's, that's what we do. We look at the devil... And the devil, and the Bible says the devil is like a, a lion walking about, right? Resist him, stand firm in the faith, right? Devil's like a, it's like a lion. But the thing with the devil as a lion is the devil, he has a big roar, all right? But he doesn't, he doesn't have the, uh, the teeth to actually like, to actually take you out. The only way he can take you out is if you allow him to take you out. Only way that he can really kill or even destroy your life is when you come in agreement with what he is saying over you. When you come in agreement with his lies, then you start to do stupid things that get you killed. The devil has a loud roar. But here's the thing. The devil 
can't last more than just a few rounds. That's the secret that most Christians are not aware of. They think the fight is going to be indefinite. And the good news is, the devil does not fight indefinitely. He can. He's just trying to trick you to believe that it's going to be indefinite. Here's what Pastor Benjamin said. He says, the good news is that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. There is no power of opposition that can oppose your faith indefinitely. The enemy and the flesh can and will resist your believing, but that resistance cannot go on forever. The devil cannot fight a long fight. If all Mike Tyson has to realize is, Brian, you might have survived three rounds, but I know you're not going to get through the fifth round. And if all you do is take Brian to the fifth round, you will knock out the devil and, his, and all his schemes. Pastor Benjamin goes on and says, This is why the fight for faith is the good fight. It's the good fight because it is a fight that you can win every time. Amen? Amen. The only way you lose that fight is if you surrender your faith. Oh, that's so good, man. I'm going to read that again. The only way you lose that fight is if you surrender your faith. There is no other fight worth fighting than the fight to keep believing. And every devil in hell is arrayed against your believing. But you can stand against the devil by continuing to fight the good fight. We all need rest, but you must never allow your faith to rest. We all need time off, but your faith must never take time off. We all need a vacation sometimes, but make sure your faith never takes a vacation. Your faith must be relentless. Can somebody say amen? Amen. In India a few weeks ago, and uh, I believe Eunice shared this testimony here, so I'm just going to share Briefly, what happened to our sister Eunice. Uh, we were in India for a mission trip. And we saw amazing signs and wonders during the three-night revival we had in a section called Manipur in northeast India. And God's spirit was moving. And uh, we're, we're breaking children free from the spirit of fear. Uh, we're breaking them free from uh, people getting physically healed coming up and sharing their testimonies. I mean, it was beautiful. Right? There were deliverances. And... On the last night of our trip in India, as we were about to take our flight in the morning back home, at 2 in the morning, it was like 2 or 3 in the morning, I get waking up. And I think it was either my wife or Eno came up to me and said, Eunice is in excruciating pain. She doesn't normally cry, but she is crying. You got to come into the room. So I go next door to the ladies' room, and there are some of our teammates are praying for Eunice, all right? And Eunice is in incredible pain. Eunice, where are you? Oh, you're in the back there, okay. Eunice is in incredible pain, and I won't imitate you here, all right? <laughs> but her stomach was in so much pain, right? Uh, I got to do it. She was like pounding her stomach like this. Ah, why is it so painful? She was like... She was in so much pain. And she's uh, got a high pain threshold. 
So, you know, she's not a uh, drama queen. I mean, she's just doing, this is the real deal. She's in so much pain. And I personally had appendicitis. So I know appendicitis is one of the worst pains you can have in your abdomen. But I know how to diagnose it because I don't, diagnosed a couple people with appendicitis and took them to the hospital. The way you identify appendicitis is you press down the stomach and it doesn't hurt. And then when you release your fingers, that's when the pain is excruciating. Okay, that's, that's, the doctors call it a rebound pain. The reason why that was established in my mind, and I remember it so clearly, is because when I had appendicitis, they took me to the ER. And I'm here in the ER. I had literally five doctors, five separate doctors come in and verify that I had appendicitis. And the way they did it was, young man, does this hurt? I'm like, no. How about this? I think that's appendicitis. Next guy comes in, young man, does this hurt? They did that to me so many times. Anyway, it's called a rebound pain. I do it on Eunice, right? And I press down and I'm like, does this hurt? She's like, it hurts all over. I'm like, okay, uh, how about now? It hurts all over. I'm like, okay, oh man, this is just, just, just pain everywhere. And so um, we, we still thought it was indigestion or something. Because, you know, indigestion could be kind of nasty sometimes, right? And I start asking her, you know, are you lactose intolerant or something like that? She's like, no, no, I'm in so much pain. Somebody help me. And she's like putting her fist into her stomach because she's in so much pain. And so um, we start asking her these questions. We finally, finally realize maybe this isn't physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Whether it's physical or spiritual, who cares? Let's pray that this pain will go away. So we just start praying, right? Erin and I start praying. Diane Wheat, her small group leader is there, and we're praying together. And we start praying, right? And then Eunice starts to say, my, my right hand is getting numb. I'm like, what? Some strange indigestion symptoms. <laughs> and I remember this is really distinct. She said, my teeth, oh, they're so painful. My teeth, there's so much pain in my teeth. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like lactose intolerance. <laughs> And then her left hand, she's all oh, my left hand is numb. There's so much pain on my fingertips. Ah! And we're like, wait a minute. This sounds so spiritual. And we start targeting these areas where there's pain. And as we pray, she says, the pain is moving down my leg. And so we grab her one leg and we start praying for that leg. And the pain starts to shift to the other leg. Pain is shifting back to her teeth. Anyway, by this time, we're all convinced this is a demonic attack. All right, and India is full of all kinds of occultism, all kinds of idolatry. If you ever go to India, you're not part of a church that's covering you in prayer, please don't go. You will get messed up. You will get jacked up. And I know plenty of stories. I'll give you examples of people that get jacked up, especially over Southeast Asia, where there's a lot of occultic demons that have strongholds in these areas. Anyway, we're not sure exactly what happened, but we suspect it's some kind of witchcraft curse, right? What's so funny? And uh, we, we're just thinking that uh, some lady may be in, been in, at the revival and just did some kind of like, you know, I cursed you in the name of uh, uh, Baal or something, or Hare Krishna, you know. I don't know what she did, but some Indian witchcraft practitioner may have come in and cast a spell. We're not sure what happened, but they were definitely trying to jack up our team at the end of our trip when we have our guard down the most when our intercessors are thinking oh they're wrapping up their trip we don't have to pray anymore 
We need to pray till, the, till we get back. And then even when we get back, we need a few more days of prayer so we can debrief, you know. But anyway, uh, yeah, so they, we got attacked. And so Eunice is there, and we're praying, and we're like, we're like, I take authority over this. We command this pain to go. And she's like, oh, it hurts more. <laughs> we take authority over it. command this pain to go. Oh, I'm not helping. <laughs> Sorry, Eunice. <laughs> she was in a lot of pain, to, to say the least. And... Um, we went at it for two and a half hours. Like two hours, two and a half hours. And, and, and Eunice is just in so much pain. Uh, the, the team, uh, we woke up the brothers. All right, we woke up the brothers. I was like, go get the brothers. And so the brothers, they all come in like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and they sit down and like, Eunice is getting a demonic attack. Okay, all right, let's pray. Brothers, wake up. Everyone sing. Everyone sing. And we start singing like praise songs. And then we start singing praise songs. And then we start shifting to VBS children's songs. And we're going, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing. I think it's getting better. Everyone sing louder. Nothing, really nothing. What can take your love away? Nothing. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit put that on my heart. He said, sing the children's songs. So we're leading that for a while. And then Holy Spirit says, start shifting, singing some other songs. And so I had Mark lead some of those songs, and I led one song that nobody else knew. So I was singing a solo on that one. Anyway, we're going at it. We're singing. We're declaring. We're uh, following prophetic visions. Our sister Krisha all of a sudden says, you know, like, uh, you know, she says, I bought slippers. I bought slippers, and Holy Spirit told me not to buy the slippers, but I bought them. And we're like, okay. Do something. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, where are the slippers? Where are the slippers? <laughs> Christian, where are you going? <laughs> she like chucks the slippers out the patio, comes back. The slippers are gone. Slippers are gone. We're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're not sure exactly if any or all of it was brought to the breakthrough, but all we know was we had to keep fighting for Eunice. And we had to, the biggest thing was we had to keep fighting to believe. We had to be more stubborn than the devil. We had to fight to believe this thing was going to expire and it's going to end. And we will not have to go to the hospital. We will not have to miss our flight. Pastor Christian, we'll get one hour to nap. I mean, that's what was on my mind. So we're fighting. And fighting, and we were fighting to believe that this will end. And for Eunice, it was really hard for her to believe. She admitted that later. She's like, I just wanted to give up. But I guess giving up wasn't a very good option either. <laughs> she just said, I just wanted to give up. But, you know, Aaron and I, we were trying to lead the way and lead the team to keep believing. And, you know, after a while, the, the team's thinking, oh, maybe our, our, our singing, maybe our prayers aren't doing anything. Maybe praying in tongues and all this stuff, maybe it's not doing anything. You know, and I'll say, no, everyone sing louder. Everyone pray louder. Everyone engage right now. The pain is moving off this area, right? And so it was really cool. After about two hours, two, two, a little over two hours, right? There was peace in her stomach. And we're like, is it gone? And she's like, oh, it's a little bit there, but I think it's mostly gone. Ah! And then the pain starts returning, right? Now, I remember that one moment, right? And I remember Krisha said, counterattack. And I remember thinking, 
This is a counterattack. Counterattacks are always, they're weaker than the original attack. Right? And so, because Erin, what she did was at the end, um, okay, this is what happened. So, so I, Krishna says counterattack, and I'm like thinking, this is a counterattack. All we got to do is push through a few more minutes, and this is going to completely end. You know, and in the natural, it wasn't telling me that. The natural didn't tell me that. The natural said what some of the other team members were thinking. Nothing happened for the last two hours. And uh, the devil's playing all kinds of games, hiding, and all of a sudden he's coming back out. Nothing's happening. There's no hilka. There's no, there's no effect here. Why keep doing what we've been doing? This is ludicrous. Right? But I said, no, this is a counterattack. We're going to push through a few more minutes. So we started to push through. And then Aaron finally got a prophetic word. She said, uh, I'm going to read Psalm uh, 19, right? 18, sorry. Psalm 18. I'm going to read Psalm 18. So I said, all right, you do it, girl. Go ahead. Read that Psalm. And so, you know, I'm just thinking, uh, maybe this is it, maybe it isn't. She starts reading Psalm 18. And I'm telling you right now, don't trust the method, all right? Next time you see, like, an uh, attack like this, don't read Psalm 18 and think that it's the magic trick, all right? It, it, it's not the method. Uh, it is what the Holy Spirit was doing in that exact situation. Let us to Psalm 18. She reads Psalm 18. Every verse she reads, you can see Eunice's face getting more and more peace. And her pounding slows down. And eventually she stops pounding her stomach. And then by the time Aaron got to the end of the psalm, Eunice was in perfect peace. And I looked at Eunice and I said, Eunice, give us an update. How do you feel? She goes, it's all gone. And I knew in my spirit it was all gone. And I was like, are you sure? (laughs) And then Eunice goes, it better be. Oh, that was so painful. (laughs) And she gets up on her feet and we're like, okay, it looks like it's all gone. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, what we saw happen to our sister Eunice at the end of India is a small picture of what we often experience in our Christian walk. The devil attacks and we think this fight's never going to end. Our family is making life a living hell for us, saying all kinds of horrible things, hurtful things. Your friends are betraying you. And you know the enemies behind all these attacks. But you just feel like giving up. You just start to doubt, is God really going to show up in this? Is God really going to bring the breakthrough? That's when you need to learn to govern your spirit. Say, no, I'm Mike Tyson. All I got to do is take the devil to the fifth and sixth round. And I'm going to knock him out. Because the devil, this, this, he cannot put up an indefinite fight. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage every one of you. Whatever situation you're in or will be in in the future. Always fight the fight of good faith. I mean, always fight the good fight of faith. Because when you do. You will be guaranteed victory every single time. That's why it's called a good fight. It's called good because the odds are stacked against the devil. He's the underdog. The odds are good for you. In fact, it's 100% that you will win each and every time. But you got to stick it out. 
And you've got to keep believing and keep trusting and refuse to come in alignment with your circumstances and what you see. All right, let's pray. Father, we just, uh, we just thank you so much, God. I just pray that in this room, as your word says that the righteous shall live by faith, I pray that in this room, every single person, they will fight the good fight. That they will remember the promises and prophecies you've spoken over them. Maybe it's things that you spoke over them years ago. Maybe it's things that you spoke over them recently. I pray that they will remember those things and they will refuse to be moved from trusting your promises, from trusting that those things will come to pass. Strengthen your people today, God, that each and every one of them may fight the good fight. thief comes to steal kill and destroy but Jesus you have come into our lives that you may give us life and life abundantly God we confess that in our lives there can only be abundance because you are in our lives we cannot decrease we cannot digress we cannot regress we can only go from glory to greater glory we can only see greater increase greater blessing greater maturity greater authority greater anointing power because Christ you are in us to give us abundant life and so father we refuse to believe the devil's lies we refuse to listen to the hecklers at the side of the boxing ring telling us that we are nobody that we can't we don't have any strength that we have no strategy, that we are nobodies. We refuse to believe those lying voices and we continue to step out there and fight to believe every word you have given to us, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.